We're actually beginning a new, a new sermon series this morning. It's called Bold Faith. Through the next few weeks, we're going to sort of dig into um, some different aspects of bold living. We're going to talk about bold prayer, just bold life, and how to live out in boldness. So this morning, I want to sort of lay a foundation, if you will, for the upcoming weeks. And I want to talk about the, the larger topic of boldness and how it all works. There's really three things I want you to see this morning. I'm going to move very quickly and I have a lot of scripture I want to share because I really want to spend the majority of my time at the end because I think God wants to deal with some things today and I want to give him an opportunity to do that. And so we're going to just move quickly. Again, talking about bold faith. So I call this message the foundation. It's just sort of talking about boldness as a whole and, and that idea of what it requires. What's required to be bold and to live the bold life that God has called us to live. The first thing I want you to see is that bold faith is Jesus-based. Amen? Amen? Bold faith is Jesus-based. My text is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to read it. Really, the focus is, is verse 12. But he says, of this gospel, this is the gospel of Paul, of course, talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am, look at this, this is the apostle Paul saying this. I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10. So that through the church, don't miss that phrase, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rules and authorities in heavenly places. He says this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through what? Through our faith in Him. I think the first thing that strikes me in this passage is the Apostle Paul saw himself and calls himself the very least of all the saints. You know, if you know much about the Bible and, how, and who, who wrote it and how the Holy Spirit put it all together, honestly, the Apostle Paul is responsible for the biggest part of it. The biggest part of the New Testament was an amazing man used by God in amazing ways, yet he understood that it wasn't about him. Amen? He understood that his life and his calling and the purposes and plans for his life and all that he was involved with was not him, but it was all about Jesus. That Jesus was the basis of his life and Jesus was the basis of his ministry. If you read in the, in the New Testament, you'll see that the Apostle Paul has this encounter with Jesus one day on the road to Damascus. His name was Saul at the time, maybe or familiar with that account. And he meets Jesus on the, the road to Damascus and he changes his name to Paul. And, and it was a radical, life changing encounter that Jesus has with Paul on the road to Damascus. I say it all the time, and I would mention it again this morning that if your encounter with Jesus didn't change your life, then there's something wrong. Because you can't come into contact with the Lord of all creation. You can't come into contact with Jesus Christ and walk away unchanged or walk away the same and keep doing what you've been doing. When, when I see the life of Paul, what I see in the life of Paul is a radical change. He meets Paul, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he is radically changed. And when you follow the life of Paul, you see in Paul this radical pursuit. It's like it was Jesus and nothing else. That's, like, that's all that matters. You, read the, you go home and read Philippians chapter 3. That's what he talks about. He says, all these things in my life that I thought mattered in the, in the context and in the light of Jesus Christ, I realize they're all just, they're lost. 
He says, I count them all as lost that I might gain the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, so you see in the life of Paul this passionate pursuit. This passionate pursuit of Jesus. Honestly, all the way up until the day he was killed and beheaded in Rome because of his faith. It never left him. As I think about that, I think, man, what, oh, that we would know him like that. Oh, that we as a church, oh, that we as individuals would pursue Jesus Christ like, like that to that degree. Amen? Amen? But listen, too often, our relationship with Jesus is nothing more than an accessory. Yes. That when I leave my house, depending on where I'm going that day and who I'm going to see, is something I take up and take with me, or is something I'll leave at home. That's, right, That's the way we treat it. We treat it like an accessory. We treat our walk with Jesus like an accessory, or like something we can just slip on and off at any moment. Depending on, again, where we're at, who we're with, and the audience that we find ourselves in. And we want to turn it on and off. But I don't see that in the life of Paul. I don't see that in anybody's life who's radically encountered Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no switch. It's not an accessory. It is who I am. And it affects me to the core of my being. I also see too often this idea that, only, that you know, prayer is just something I do when I, when I need like my, my communing with him and my relationship with him and my talking with him is something I just do when I'm in a pinch. Right? When, I, when I need Jesus to step in and rescue me from something or set me free from something or deal with some mess that I've created on my own because I never prayed to start with, right? And now I'm off here in the weeds and I'm buried down and I need Jesus to save me. For a lot of us, that's the only time we pray. Too often we walk around in defeat and bondage instead of victory and freedom. And it's victory and freedom that Jesus died to make possible. But notice here in verse 12. He says, in whom, again he's talking about Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. There's, there's some great words in this passage, and I don't have time to get into all of them. But I want to focus on one word. He says, in whom we have boldness and access. That word access literally means an access with the right to speak. An access with the right to speak. Matter of fact, it even carries with it the idea of a formal introduction in the presence of a monarch. Let that sink in a second. You see, I, I, I'm probably never going to end up at Buckingham Palace with an opportunity to sit down with Queen Elizabeth and just share my heart with her. It's probably never going to happen. Amen? I'm probably never even going to get to the White House with an opportunity to sit down and talk and share my heart with our president, whoever that may be at the time. It's probably never going to happen. But listen, this word says that you and I have access. I want you to catch this this morning. You and I have access with confidence through our faith in Him. The word literally means that you and I have access to God the Father at all times from anywhere. It's Again, it's the idea of an introduction into the presence of a monarch. It's not because of who you are. It's not because of what you've done or haven't done or how many times you've prayed today. It's only because of our faith in Him. And because we are in Christ, we have that access. Again, not because of who we are or what I've done. It has nothing to do with me and and all that I've done. It's all because of Him and my relationship with Him. And because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, through faith, I have boldness and access with confidence. I I just don't think this is something else for I mean, just, just think about that. Think about the fact that you have access to the God of all creation. Hallelujah. 
The God who spoke everything you see outside these windows into existence with a word. You have access to Him. Not because of who you are or what you've done or how much money you've got in your bank or what your pedigree is, but only because of your relationship with Jesus through our faith in Him. But here's the cool thing. Not, not only do I have access to Him, but He's on my side. But listen to this. Romans chapter 8. The whole 8th chapter of Romans is great. Let me, let me give you just a few verses. This is starting in verse 31. He says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's a sermon right there. We can just stop. But no, it gets even better. Look, 30, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of the Father. Who is interceding for us. Verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It goes on in verse 35, 37 actually, it says, No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor debt nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's an awesome passage. Just, just let that sink in for a second. Because I want you to catch what he's saying. He said, not only do you have access to the Father at any moment from anywhere because of your relationship with Christ, but he's also saying he's on your side. You see, the, the, the danger a lot of times and the problem a lot of times in all honesty in churches, we come up with this religious mindset. And we think that God's mad at us. And we think that he's sitting there and just waiting on us to mess up so he just zaps us with a bolt of light. Or smacks in the back of the head or whatever, right? I mean, we really, we live, we might not say that, but we live from that mentality. That God is mad at us and God's just waiting on me to mess up so he can just rock my world. But this passage says exactly the opposite. That he, he's not mad at me. You know, again, I have access to it, but also once you understand that he's on your side. That's what that verse says. If God is for us, then who can be against us? If the God, again, who spoke everything you see into creation is on your side, then who can be against you? Then he says, well, he's pursuing us. So we have access to him. He is on our side. He is pursuing us. And then that great part, that last few verses there, verse 37 through 38, 39, he says, what? He says, nothing can come between us. So I have access to him. He is pursuing me. He's on my side. And there's nothing that can separate me. There's nothing you can think of that doesn't fit in that list. That is an all inclusive list. Because he says nothing else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. So you want to talk about boldness? Right here is your basis of boldness. When you realize who you are in Jesus Christ, when you realize that you have access to the Father, when you realize that He is your provider and your healer and everything that you need, when He realizes that He is on your side, when you realize that He is pursuing you, when you realize that there's nothing on earth that can separate you from His love. That's a, that's a platform for boldness. That's what makes you bold. When you live in that right there and you walk away. So listen, Jesus didn't die. So you and I can hide in our church building while the world all around us dies and goes to hell. 
Jesus did not die, so you and I can hide over here in the corner and quiver in fear because we're afraid some human might say something mean to us. Or we're, we're afraid somebody might uh, you know, stop our paycheck, or somebody might sever a relationship, or, or somebody might, or forbid, they might even kill me and send me on to glory even earlier. Jesus didn't die so we can sit over here and fear those things. He died so that you and I can do this and live this. He died so that we can have a relationship with Him by faith. He died so we can commune with Him and walk in freedom and be victorious and boldly let heaven invade earth in every situation that we have. That's why He died. Not so I can hide in fear over here in the corner and get in the fetal position and cry like a baby. He died so I can go out to a world that is lost and dying without him and let him work through me and flow through me and change lives and change situations and change families and houses and communities for his glory. But, but I've got to tell you, Griff, you listen. There is no plan B. We, we act like you know, we're about to go out of the game and there's some there's some batters coming in. They're not. We, we act like you know, we, we just let this go for another generation, and the next generation will stop up and do. And I just got to tell you, man, we're in the shape we're in because the last four or five generations have done nothing that's supposed to be. There is no point to do. It's us or not. Number two, I want you to see bold faith is spirit and power. Bold faith is spirit and power. We're in Acts chapter 4. Before I get into this, let me just sort of set the stage and tell you what's going on because I'm jumping sort of in the middle of the chapter here. In context, context is always important. Earlier in chapter 4, Peter and John, you may remember the, the, the story, Peter and John are taken before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court. And they're taken in front of them because they're basically ministering in the name of Jesus. They're healing, you know, preaching the gospel and salvation, sharing salvation, all those things. So they're, so they're taken in before the Sanhedrin, which is basically the Jewish high court. And basically they tell them, stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. You guys got to put this stuff. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. That's what they tell you. You've got to quit. I don't remember exactly how they were, but basically you've got to quit ministering and preaching and, and doing all you're doing in the name of Jesus. You with me? Mm-hmm. All right, so that gets us to Acts 4, 23 on the screen. When they were released, the, the day is Peter and John, when they were released from the Sanhedrin, they went to their friends. That, that was the church. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lift their voices together to God and said. So this is their prayer. So they're praying. That's what they're doing. That, that was their solution. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage with the people's pot man? He's actually quoting Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servants, Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threat and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's the end of their prayer. It says that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. So I want you to catch this. Peter and John 
leave the Sanhedrin, they leave the Jewish high court, and they head back to the church, to, the, to their friends. And they tell them what the Sanhedrin said, they tell them everything that happened and everything that was going on. I believe with all my heart, those guys knew the implications of disobedience. Those guys sitting there in that room with Peter and John knew exactly what, what it's going to cost them to disobey the Sanhedrin. You say, what was that preacher? Well, two things. The first one would have been persecution. Immediately. From disobeying the, the, the Jewish high court. The, the second um, punishment that probably would have eventually came would have been death. They would have been executed for disobeying the high court. But I want you to notice their response because they didn't do any one of those things, right? What did they do? They don't, they don't flee into hiding. They don't run up in the mountains and hide in the cave. Right? They don't find a, a place in the, the underground of Jerusalem and go underground and hide out. Right? They don't they don't form a church security team. They don't bolt the doors and say nobody can come in. Right? They don't uh, they don't try to outlast them. They look like survival. <laughs> they don't try to outlast the Sanhedrin. What do they do? They pray for boldness. They pray for boldness. I want you to understand this morning that the Christian life requires spirit empowered boldness. We cannot live the life God has called us to live. We cannot do what God has called us to do without the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Now, in a couple couple weeks, well, probably about two months, honestly, we're going to kick off a series in depth on the person who worked the Holy Spirit. And I don't I don't want to spend a lot of time on the theology side of things this morning. I don't want to get, you know, tangled up in the weeds. But <clears throat> I do want you to know that the scripture is very clear about a second work of the Holy Spirit. It's commonly called baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I put a definition, a very simple definition on the screen. The baptism of the Spirit is an immersion in the Spirit. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you will receive strength, power, and boldness from God to accomplish your work and overcome sin in your life. When you look at the church as a whole, the, the global body of Christ, man, there's all kinds of opinions on this. Right? There's opinions about how it happens and when it happens and what it looks like and the signs that come with it and the results of it and all of it, all kinds of stuff. So, I'm not going to put God in the box and say He always has to work this way. But I do want to share a couple things with you. Because I think there's a few things that are very clear when you look at Scripture. Number one, I think it's very clear that it is a work separate from conversion. It's separate from salvation. It is completely separate. For some people, they happen at the same time. I believe that. For some people, they happen at different times. But it is a separate work. Let me share this with you. Acts chapter 8. That's where it goes into that. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Notice, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They have conversion. They have baptism, water baptism, in the name of Jesus. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 14-17. So again, three things I want to point out. Number one, is it is a separate work. Number two, it is an, an enablement to do what God planned and purposed for my life. It is this that gives me the power and the gifts and the strength and all that I need to go out and do what God has called me to do. 
And the third thing I will share with you is it's very simple that it is accompanied by gifts of the Spirit. Yes. Again, there's a lot of disagreement on what those are and what they look like. And is it always the same and are they different? And, and all kinds of ideas. And we'll get into that later. But it is accompanied by gifts of the Spirit, no doubt. Scripture is clear. Alright? So listen, I share this. Well, let me say this first. You may say, Pastor, I come from a denomination that don't believe in this, and I've never heard this in my life. Well, guess what? That's okay. If you go back a hundred years, every mainline denomination there was believed in baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of the last hundred years that you have sort of shuffled it under the table and pretend like it's not real. If you go back a hundred years, United Methodist Church, big one of the biggest proponents of baptism of the Spirit. Right? I don't believe it because any denomination believes it. I believe it because it's taught in Scripture. It's very clearly and very clearly plain scripture. But anyway. I share this, listen, because I want you to know that boldness, empowerment, enablement, the gifts, everything you need to live the life that God desires is found in the Holy Spirit. It's not found in you. You can't do it. But you can do it with me. And you're not in your own strength and own power. So as we close it today, we're going to give people an opportunity who want to you know, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, I don't believe there's seven magical steps like I throw on the screen and it just happens. But I do believe there are principles and conditions that are clearly laid out in Scripture. And that's what we'll, we'll go over and give an opportunity to do that if you, if you want to. But again, it goes back to this. Bold faith is spirit and power. In order to be the individual God has called you to be, in order to be the church God has called us to be, in order to, to change and brought North Isle to its core as God has called us to do, in order to go beyond North Isle, which is where God has taken us, guess what? We have to be supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can never do it on our own. Number three, bold faith stands firm. Bold faith stands firm. If Chris would just grasp that phrase right there, that would be half the work. Bold faith stands firm. He said, why do you say that? Because it's amazing to me how Christians, Christians want to just throw in the towel. They haven't done it. And just walk away from it all. Give up and walk away from the very promises that God has given them. Yeah. Right? I just, it blows my mind. You, you have people who, who are praying for prayers, and because God doesn't heal them, or even praying for healing, let's say they pray for healing, and because God doesn't heal them quick enough, they allow the flesh to convince them that God can't do it anyway. And they leave that promise. Or maybe you. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and you sow some seeds, some financial seeds into some work or some ministry, some, some kingdom work. And when you don't immediately see gain from that, you know, when the next power bill rolls around and my bank account's not where it should be, right? when I don't immediately see the benefit to that, then I say, well, I can't trust God for those things. I can't take God in His word. I can't take what He promised in that area because He didn't provide and we walk away. We turn and walk away. Or you pray for your marriage. And when you don't immediately see the results you want to see, say, I'm done. You throw in the towel and walk away. Or you pray for your children, right? Some issue with your children. And you pray and you pray and you pray. And you don't see God move and you just walk away from that too. Or your career or, or whatever. Whatever you want to put in the blame. When we don't see God move like we think we ought to, and the speed we think we ought to, we just want to drop it all and walk away and throw in the towel and say, I'm done. Yeah. 
We want microwave answers to problems and situations that took years to develop. We want microwave answers. We want this. Now, we don't want to put the, the pot roast in the oven and let it bake for 45 minutes, right? We want stun, ready. I mean, really, that's, that's the society we live in. And we've embraced that in the church. And we think, well, God's got to move. And God's got to move right now. Because I need him to move right now. Well, guess what? God doesn't work on your timetable. And when God sees your situation, he doesn't see it in the context of time. Because he transcends time. Right? When God looks at your life, he doesn't see time. He sees it all. From beginning to end. And I can't, can't hallelujah, can I just tell you this morning? That he's more concerned with the product than the process. He's more concerned with the name of the woman you are going into and conforming to the image of Christ than some little issue you find yourself in. It's not about the process, it's about the product. And he wants to be conformed to the image of his son. I've got to get to my pastor, right? I go on forever. Listen. Hebrews 10, 35, verse 6. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I want to read that again. That's a great verse. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In, in your Bible, that word endurance may actually be patience. Mm-hmm. Actually, patience is a better translation. For you have need of patience. The word literally means to stay or remain under. Mm-hmm. So you can literally read it that way. For you have need of patience to stay under, to, to remain under something. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The picture here is a person who is under a heavy load. A tremendously heavy load. But they have resolved to stay put no matter how heavy the load may be. That's that's literally the picture of that word. Patience. Endurance. That I'm committed to stay right here in the midst of this situation. Again, it doesn't matter if it's my marriage or my children or my career or my finances or whatever. That I'm going to stay right here where God has promised me and where God has gave me His word Regardless of hell or high water, I'm going to stay right here. I'm committed to stay here as long as I've got to stay here to gain the victory. So listen, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've not been so determined in the past. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've given up too early in the past. Maybe you've caved in from the pressure from the enemy. Can I just tell you to, to get back up? Just get back up and endure. It's not, again, it's not about you and your strength. It's about Him and His strength. And to, to experience a breakthrough in a, in a situation or, or even with an issue that you struggle with, you've got to take a bold stance. And you've got to say, okay, God, right here is where I'm standing. Because this is what you told me. This is your promise. This is your word. And stand here till, and I'm going to stand here until I see the victory. That's really what this word means. Endurance. Stay good. You said, Pastor, what, what am I supposed to do? You're to make a bold sense of faith. Make a bold confession of faith. Again, I, I don't know the issue. I don't know the situation. 
But you, if it's your marriage, you say, okay, God, this is what I want. I want my marriage restored. God, I know that you want my marriage restored. And I'm going to stand right here until I see victory. I'm going to stand right here until I see restoration. Or God, hey, I know you don't want this situation in my child's life. Your word says this and I see this. So God, I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to stand right here on your word and on your promises until I see this thing gone from the life of my child. That's a declaration of faith. Especially this aligning yourself up with what God says on the issue and standing there for you to have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. So I would tell you this morning, if you find yourself in those situations, you know, to be honest, we all have those situations. You just gotta stand firm. You gotta stand on the promises of God, on the word of God. It's not, listen to me, it's not a matter of if you win. It's a matter of when you win. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The receiving of the promise requires me to stand firm. Bold faith stands firm. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask Andy and the musicians if they would make their way back up. So I want to do something a little different this morning. As I thought about this week and prayed about this, I really felt led to do this a specific way. And I've asked some people to help me as far as the invitation and the time of response this morning. Um, I'm sort, sort of going to do three different groups, and, and I'll explain those in a second. Before I get to that, if you go to the next slide, Isaac, I talk about baptism of the Spirit. Again, I don't think there's a magical set of steps, boom, 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 here you go. But I think there are conditions that we are to meet clearly in Scripture. And so I'm going to share those with you, then I'm going to put them up on the screen, and we'll, we'll get to, the, to that time of response. Number one is we must become aware of our personal inadequacy in our Christian life. John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered, said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying we have to recognize our defeated state. We have to recognize our indifference, our lack of power, our lack of faith. We have to appreciate what Jesus is going to do and understand we can't do it ourselves. We must become aware of our personal inadequacy. It means we can't do it. Number two, we must desire for our personal condition to change. This is the big one. We must desire for our personal conditions to change. We must develop a serious hunger to be victorious Christians. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God desires that our spiritual hunger be so great that we pan after what he has to offer. It's a hunger. Next, number three. We must want our lives to honor God and be used in his service for his glory. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence of which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We are summoned by the energy to the glory of his name. I want you to stand to your feet. You go to the next slide, eyes and put all three on the screen. You want to bow your heads and close your eyes and notice. 
Hear me for a moment. No, no looking around, no peeking. I'm going to do three separate uh, invitations. Alright? So here's the first one. Bold faith is Jesus' face. If you're here this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never received Him, or, listen, or, you've moved away from where you ought to be, and you know you're not where you ought to be with Him, and you want to make that right today, I want you to step out right now and go to the right side of the room. Come up front. Brett's up here. He'll be glad to pray with you. Lead you in the sinner's prayer if you don't know him. Pray with you for rededication or recommitment, whatever. But if you're here and you don't know him or you don't know him like you should, step out and come up right now. Here's the second. I said, old faith is spirit and power. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is something, it's not something that we reserve for some super elite group of Christians. It's for us all. And if you need a, a dose of boldness or power or strength or enablement or anything that we've talked about, I invite you to seek Him today. So if that's you, I want you to step out right now and come down to the center aisle. Let's wait up front. The people up here who want to pray with you and lead you in that. Here's the third group. Bold faith stands firm. Bold faith stands firm on the promises of God. It never gives up. It never gives in. So let me ask you, what in your life do you need to make a bold profession of right now? What situation in your life do you need to say, okay, I see this situation. But I'm going to stand right here on the promises and the Word of God. If that's you, I want you to make your way to the left side. Bill will be down front. He'll be glad to pray with you in whatever situation it is. So these are the three groups, the three responses. Number one, over here on the right, prayer. If you don't know Jesus, if you've moved away from Him, if you want to recommit, if you want to make that connection with Jesus what it should be, come see prayer. Middle group. Old faith is spirit and power. If you're here and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive boldness and, and all the enablement, all that comes with you, the middle of your group. Lastly, over here on the left, where Phil is. If you need just to stand on a promise of the Lord, if you need a word today, if you have some situation in your life, just determine that, hey, I'm going to stand here on the Word and let God do the grip on the land. Let's be obedient to the Lord. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit and respond how hard He's leading you to respond. Listen, I'll be down here as well for something completely we didn't even think. It doesn't matter. God's still working. God's still moving. Let's grab somebody and go for it.